We'll pick up this morning in verse 12 here in John 15. And you might remember that as we left uh, Jesus and the disciples, they had left the upper room. They had gone down through the edge and the the upper reaches of the Hinnom Valley. They had turned around the south end of the Temple Mount, headed up the Brook Kidron. And because that stream runs year-round, the stream was diverted over onto the Mount of Olives, and on the Mount of Olives, there were both vineyards and olive groves. Um, that is actually still the case even today. There are still some olive groves, and there are still some vineyards that are on the Mount of Olives, while there's also a number of homes and some large buildings. But it, it was during that day and time, an area outside of the city walls that was primarily used for agriculture. The city of Jerusalem is a city of hills. It's not in a valley. It's actually on top of a mountaintop, a rather prominent one. And so here Jesus has now wandered into this vineyard area. He's spoken to the disciples. He said, look, I am the vine. You are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. He says, abide in me. He's now going to shift Because as the branches, we're we're grafted in. We are part of the vine. That part is automatic. By grace, through faith, you've been saved. That's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. If you're in him, you're in him. And so the question last time is how much fruit will you bear? You, You can be part of the vine and bear very little fruit, or you can be part of the vine and bear much fruit. And so he brings up now a secondary point, which to me is the more poignant and beautiful because not only are we grafted into the vine, but Jesus literally calls us his friends. Have you ever thought about being the friend of God? You're not just his creation. You see, as God, he could actually make you do anything he wants you to do. He's the creator, he's sovereign. He can just put his hand on you and say, Jeff, you will do this. Boom, go do it. And there would be nothing I could do to resist him. But not only does he love me and allow me to make a choice by grace to love him back, but he then takes it a step further and he says, Jeff, I want to be friends with you. Friends are hard to come by in this world, amen? Amen. Most of us have one, maybe two, if you're very fortunate, a couple. I pray that as is the case in our marriage, Connie is my best friend in the whole world. And I have very few really close friends apart from her. Being as today's the first day of the football season. (laughs) Just saying. So for those of you that want me to shut up so you can go watch the game, that ain't happening. (laughs) But some of you in this room can remember when Pepper Rogers first became the coach at UCLA. His first season was not so great. It was in the middle of that season that a junior college transfer named Mark Harmon, the NCIS actor who's married to Pam Dauber, who's... Mork and Mindy fame, for those of you who are a little older in the room, some of us seasoned saints, before the wishbone offense was installed at UCLA, 
before they beat Nebraska on the first game of the season in 1972 to end their 32-game winning streak, before that happened, they had a miserable 1971. And at the dinner table one night, Pepper Rogers was sitting with his wife, and he recalls the scene. He said, at that point in time, my dog was my only friend. I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends. And so she bought me another dog. (laughs) We all need friends. We need friends. And you have one. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. Would you pray with me and we'll pick up in verse 12. Father, we, we don't even know what to say. We are so grateful that you would even save us. That you would pull us out of the miry clay and you would set our feet upon the rock, which is your own son, Jesus. Would be enough. But that's not where the story ends. You've called us your friends. And Lord, we want to be a faithful friend, a good friend, an obedient friend a sacrificial friend, a friend who sticks closer than even a brother. And so, God, we pray that your word would just be alive to us this day. Help us to hear. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12 here in John 15, and this is my commandment. And Jesus is not trying to make something that's different than what he's previously said. He's actually said this very thing Uh, three times already. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We have been called into a love relationship and then to bring that love relationship to the rest of the world. There is no such thing as a believer who's rightly walking with the Lord who lacks the love of God. Now you may not Put the love of God forth as you should, but the love of God is an essential to your salvation experience. He first loved you, even while you were yet a sinner, Romans chapter 5 says. While you were actively engaged in hating God, setting yourself at odds with him through the warring of your soul because of those things within you, while you were an enemy of God, God loved you. And because that's the case, It is unthinkable for us as his children, as his friends, to then not love others. You see, the church gets all divided over all kinds of things. The church divides over doctrine. The church divides over, you know, you have the pew people versus the stadium seating people. Then you have the people that come to church in shorts. (gasps) Oh! You know, we we talk about all these things that somehow become important to us when the main thing is that we love one another as he has loved us. If we do that part right, everything else really does begin to take care of itself. It is the love of God that's the chief characteristics. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
The result of that is joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit, the, the indicator that you are a child of God, is actually the love of God. And so he's going to begin to describe for us that loving friendship that he has with us. That closeness that we should all have with one another, by the way. He says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love had no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Notice what he says, for his friends. To lay down one's life for his friends. We are the friends of God. That crazy, intimate relationship that you have that sometimes is even different than those people you're related to, amen? Can I tell you I'm not actually friends with all the people I'm related to? I got a few crazy folks in my family. And it's just like I actually don't want people to know that we're related. But God calls us friend. He says, I want to hang out with you. When I think of my best friend, I want to hang out with my bride. There is nobody else on the planet that I want to spend time with more than my best friend. Jesus is going to use this now to speak into our lives today. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. Is Jesus saying that there's some kind of criteria you have to keep to be his friend? No, he is not. But what he is saying is if you are in fact his friend, if you're part of the family, you're going to act like you're part of the family. When you bump into a friend, it's as if that friend was never gone, right? It's like, oh man, it's so good to see you. You act like a friend. There's obedience to the friendship. The friendship shines through, is what Jesus is saying. The very thing that James said, by the way, he said, faith without works is dead. Love without works is also dead. And he went on to say that I will show you my faith, I'll show you my love by the things that I do. If I proclaim my love to you and then punch you in the face, you're going to believe the punch in the face. Amen? You're, you're not, oh, wow, he really loves me, man. Look at this bruise on the side of my cheek. No, the work that I would do would show that I love you, that I care for you, that you're my friend. I'm not going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to do the right thing. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the works of your life ought to indicate that you're a friend of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That you love God in the way that he has first loved you. And to notice how he continues this. He says, for I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. Servants are just commanded. Servants are told what to do. They're given a task list. They're just simply expected to be obedient. That's not what this is. 
It's way deeper than God, the sovereign king of heaven, just telling you, look, I rule the universe, get over it. That's not what God does. God loves us so much that he brings us into his inner circle. You get to sit down in the living room of God with Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit and talk about what's going on in the family and you get to know God personally. You see, there are things that I know about my bride that none of you in this room know. She's my best friend. There are things that I can tell you and about her and she could tell you about me that no one else on this planet knows. There is a closeness with that friendship that only comes from being a friend like that. Servant doesn't know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. When dad and I were talking, I brought you into the living room and I shared those truths with you. Do you see it? It's way deeper than just, well, you need to know this. Now, here's the things you got to do. And we say, because you're a part of the family, you get to know stuff nobody else knows. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said, spiritual things are spiritually weighed, they're spiritually appraised, and the carnal mind cannot know them because they come from being part of the family, being a friend, being in with the Lord. You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Not that you'd pop out one grape, that'd be the end of it, but literally that your life would continue to bear fruit. It would always be fruitful. You would be wandering around going, man, this is just so good. Now, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give to you. That's pretty close, isn't it? You ever known, have you ever been part of a family like that to where you could go to someone else's father and ask of them and you're so close to that family that it's yours? It's exactly what scripture paints for the disciples. We've been adopted into God's family. Not only are we a friend, but we are also brothers and sisters of the Lord. Amen? That's close. You're in. You're not kind of, sort of, one of God's, you know, other kids you're actually in his family these things i have commanded you that you love one another do you see the preeminence of that we're saying if you're actually in the family you know the family secrets you're you're part of that close-knit family unit then the result of that is you're going to do what The Father would want of you, not out of obligation, but out of obedience because you know that he wants the best for you and you're going to love as he loves. You see, that's why a church that's an unloving church is so contrary to God himself. Because he loves his son, his son loves us, and we are supposed to love one another exactly as God the Father and God the Son love each other. That's a lot of love, amen? 
That's why we say love is the preeminent thing. All those other things have a place. Doctrine has a place. Worship service order has a place. Preferential seating has a place. But it doesn't take the place of love. And that's why Jesus has already said, by this all men will actually know that you are indeed my disciples if you have love for one another. You can't pull the love out of the equation. Just like you cannot pull deep love out of a friendship. You take the love out, it ceases to be that kind of friendship. I'll illustrate this with you with a story from the First World War. For those of you who have ever seen the movie The War Horse, and it's one of those ones where I cry, so just saying if you go watch it. But it's a very accurate depiction, actually, of the Second Battle of Marne in France. It's near the end of the First World War. As most of you know, that war was often fought in what we call trench warfare. There would be opposing sides deeply entrenched. Uh, normally 15 to 20 foot deep trenches, in fact, that had fortifications inside of them. And in between the enemy sides, the Germans were on one side principally, the English, French, and the Americans on the opposite side. And in between was a no man's land. That no man's land usually had landmines, barbed wire. It was constantly being raked with machine gun fire and rifle fire from sniper positions. And basically, whenever someone would try and run through it, then people would pop up out of the trench and that person was generally not make it halfway across. And such it was towards the end of that battle, the very early part of August in 1918. And the story goes like this. There was a young man. His first name was Jimmy. And as he ran out of the trench, he made it about halfway across. He was shot. And he lay dying in the middle of the no man's land. But he was hidden well enough that he could no longer be hit by gunfire. He laid out there not for one day, but two days, moaning in agony. And during the second day, his friend who was unscathed in the battle in the bottom of the trench, went to his commanding officer and asked permission to go and get his friend. And the commanding officer said, well, you can go, but why would you want to do that? He's as good as dead already. He's going to die. Why would you forfeit your own life knowing that you're going to get shot? He said, well, he's my friend. That's what friends do. Commanding officer did did give him permission. He said, if you must, you can. Small lull in the fighting. Friend took off. Bullets began to rain down on him. He made it to Jimmy, put him over his shoulder. And about halfway back to his trench, a machine gun nest opened up on them. He took over a hundred rounds. They both fell into the trench, laid at the bottom of the trench. His friend was, in fact, dead. The commanding officer, almost in anger, 
though very impressed with the bravery, said, I told you he was as good as dead. Why did you run out into that no man's land to get someone who was dead? He said, when I got there, he wasn't dead. And he looked in my eyes and he said, I knew you would come because you're my best friend. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what this passage illustrates. That's what Jesus did for you. He came from heaven, the safety of the trench, went to earth and hell to snatch you back when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He hath made you alive and in fact you didn't get hit again. He saved your very life because he's that kind of a friend. This passage is powerful for us, family, because you can actually spot a real friend. First thing I can tell you, they're very unlike Judas. Judas was not a true friend. Any of you have fair weather friends in your life? Something goes on, that thing that happens and it all of a sudden becomes difficult. You see, everybody wants to be your friend when you're doing well. Everybody wants to be your friend when you have money. Everybody wants to be your friend when you're buying dinner, amen? It's like, hey, it's on me. All of a sudden, you have more friends than you ever knew. But Jesus had Judas turn his back on him for 30 pieces of silver. That's not a friend. Uh, As real friends, uh, as much as I'd like to say I've been a perfect friend to my bride, I haven't. There have been times when I've failed. That's not what this is about. This isn't about our humanity coming to light. This is about the effort that we put into being a good friend. It's recognizing that we have a ways to go. It's recognizing that your life needs to change in certain areas. It's taking the information that you have as a friend and doing something with it. And sometimes for some of us, that means we need to repent. That means we need to change our ways. For some of us, it means we simply need to do more of what we're already doing. You're already a great friend. Be a greater friend. Continue to do that work that speaks, I am a friend. As you take that position in the inner circle and you have those deep secrets, you know, as a friend, you've got lots of deep secrets about people, amen? There are, there are things that Connie knows about me and I know about her that are going to stay between me and her until we both leave this planet, Not because they're necessarily bad or wrong. They're just the deep inner secrets. You have that with the Lord. There are things that you know that God has shared with you. You're in the king's court in that sense. The servants don't get to go into the king's court. The servants just serve the king. Your relationship with the Lord is far deeper than that. You can spot a friend because they're close to the king. You can tell when somebody's been close to Jesus, amen? Their life is marked out by the things of the Lord. There's joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and self-control. They desire to serve others, not be served themselves. Those things are easy to spot. 
You become like Abraham. Abraham was a knucklehead, amen? You've been with us on Sunday nights. If there's anything we know about Abraham, is Abraham was a knucklehead and God's grace is greater than his knuckleheadedness. Amen? It's the story of Abraham. Well, she's not really my, my wife. She's actually my sister. Yeah, that guy's like a doofus and he does it twice. I don't even know what to say about Abraham. So people will ask you, well, what about you? He was a friend of God. It just goes to show you, you, you can still be a little bit loopy and God still loves you. And I'm praising Jesus for that. Amen. <laughs> Friendship isn't always perfect, but it transcends those difficulties. And because of that, real friends are not in this, this race of life for some kind of position. We don't care. We don't care who's, if you're friends, you don't care who wins and who loses. It just isn't important to you. You just care that the friendship is intact. Look, Jesus laid down his life for us. He ran out into the middle of the firefight and snatched you off the field where you were going to die and he's going to take you all the way to heaven. So you can rejoice that he really is your friend. Maybe you don't have another friend on the face of the earth today. But you have a friend in Jesus. And he will not leave you wounded in the battlefield of life. You may take a few bullets. Let me be clear here. We're going to see that next. This world is a battlefield. And you need to be prepared for it. But your friend will be with you every moment of the way. Every firefight, he's going to be there. Every time the enemy is hurling the artillery shells your way, he's going to be there. You see, I love that about my Savior. Because Jesus, by an act of his own will, loved me. He didn't have to. He chose to love me. That's nuts. And here's why it's crazy to me. Because I wouldn't choose to love me. Seriously. Think about your own life. Would you love you? Of course not. Unless you're a, a liar, then you, maybe you would. Because you know all your weaknesses and faults, right? And you know what's going on in your head. You know why you're unlovable. You, you understand completely that you're not always faithful. You're not thinking the right things all the time. You don't have everyone else's best interest in view all the time. But Jesus does. And he loves you and wants to be your friend even though he knows how messed up you are. And I am. And we are. We are like everyone together. We are a dysfunctional family, amen? <laughs> Aren't we? We are like a mess. That's the family of God. And he calls us friend. He hangs out with us. He likes our warts and bumps and bruises. Here's the deal. You can't love God and love the world at the same time. It's an impossibility. You, you can't be a friend of the world, be a friend of God at the same time. That's why Jesus said you can't have two masters. 
You're going to love one, hate the other, or hate the one, love the other. It's just that simple. Matter of fact, James 4 tells us that friendship with the world is actually to be at war with God, to be at enmity with God. It puts you on the other side. You're saying, hey, if I want to be a friend of the world, then you're saying, well, Lord, let's, let's wreck our relationship. And that's what sin does. It wrecks your relationship. It doesn't steal your salvation as a believer. It wrecks your relationship with God. So your prayer life is hindered. Your spiritual life is hindered. You, you will accomplish nothing. You'll bear no fruit. You'll just be wandering around going, well, you know, I just want to be friends with the world. And you won't have any fruit in your life. You, you will do nothing for the Lord as a friend with the world. And so he says, look, if you want to learn the king's secrets, you have to choose who you're going to serve this day. You have to choo- choose who's going to be your friend this day. You make that decision. God wants you to choose him but he's not going to force you because then it's not a real friendship. It's not a real love relationship. If he simply makes you some kind of robot and says, you have to love me because I'm the king. Can I tell you, it would have been a horrible thing to have been a king during the times of the monarchies in England because you would never know if anybody actually loved you. Why? Because the king could make you do anything. And if you didn't, it could cost you your life. So only those closest to the king actually knew that the king was their friend. You want to get that close. You're supposed to be fruitful as a friend. Look, as a branch, you're going to have some life. You're in the vine. You are a believer. You're going to have some life. You're going to probably every once in a while, you're going to pop out a little grape or a leaf or something. Something's going to happen because you're part of the vine. But you're going to also get pruned so you can bear more fruit. But here's the deal. God wants you to be so close that you're listening as the vine dresser comes through the vineyard and he clips and prunes. It's like, ooh, if I do that, then I'm going to bear more fruit. And you're like, yes, let me do that. You're going to join the vine dresser in what the vine dresser wants to do so that you're going to be more fruitful. We call that obedience. On our backyard, we have a jasmine that was planted in a pot. It was about this tall when I planted it. And and then we put a trellis in it, and I kind of wound the first little pieces of it up on there. The thing is up near the top of our gazebo we have in the backyard. But every once in a while, I go out there and I have these crazy trailing vines that come on, and they're trying to go to our neighbor's house. And so I grab them and I pull them back over to the trellis and I wind them around the trellis in hopes that they'll grow with the rest of the vine that's inside of the pot that's next to the gazebo. But invariably what happens is I get one of them, it's just it's like an unruly one. And, and it wants to live in someone else's yard. Mr. Clippers come out. You want it, you got it. (laughs) And into the green waste barrel it goes. You don't want God doing that to your vine. You want to stay on the trellis. You want to make those fragrant blossoms, that beautiful fruit, right where you're supposed to make it. 
But just like Jesus used the example of the sheepfold and the shepherd, you can look over the wall and go, that looks bad. (laughs) Or you can go, hey, I'm staying right here because the shepherd put me here. Or you can stay on the trellis where the vine dresser placed you, or you can try and trail off into the mud. God wants you to have the very best that he wants for you. So he says, would you stay with me and I'll help you produce more fruit? And so he begins to talk to the vine. He talks to the branch. You get to talk to the sovereign king. You get to talk to the gardener. You get to talk to the shepherd. You get to know him and you know that he only has good plans for you for I know my plan Jeremiah 29 11 amen I know my plans for you says the Lord they are plans to prosper you they are good and they are not evil so when God clips and snips it's so you can bear more fruit when God says stay in the sheepfold it's so that you can bear more sheep it's so you'll have thicker wool when God tells you something to do the reason is he loves you he's not like the cosmic killjoy he's not sitting there well watch this Jeff's going to suffer no he wants me to be fruitful so he knows what to snip off he knows what to take out. He knows what he's. He goes in there, man. That's a weed. That is a tear. That's not wheat. It's going. Family. The way to fruitfulness is through abiding and obeying. It, it, it's staying grafted in. It, it's being where you should be on the trellis. If we're going to face the opposition, which you will absolutely face in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Anybody ever told you differently? They were not being truthful according to the words of Jesus himself. In this world, you will face tribulation. You're going to have a tough time at times. In those times, you want a battle buddy, amen? You want someone there with you when the firing starts. When, when, when the bullets are flying on this earth, when the battlefield starts to rage, you do not want to be there alone. Jesus is right there. He loves you. And I want to strongly, strongly encourage you this morning. We have to love each other in these things. If we're not being abiding branches and obeying friends, then we're never going to be able to face that opposition. Never. You you just won't. You're going to shrivel up and die. You're going to get killed in the first battle. But if we go out in this and and we run together in in this battle called life, there's two competing truths that always come to mind when I think on this. Jesus has said there in verse 5, without me you can do nothing. That's a truth. Without him, you're toast. I'm toast. We're, no, we're going nowhere as a church without Jesus. Amen? 
So we should look like he looks and talk like he talks. We should have priorities like are his priorities. We should be engaged in thinking and understanding what would Jesus do in this thing, in this situation. That should be our mindset, if you will. But there's another truth. You see, without him, we can do nothing. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, yet Through Christ, I can do all things. So on one hand, without him, you can do nothing. On the other hand, you can do everything. Which do you want? Which do you want for your own life? Do you want to be able to do everything that God has for you? Then abide and obey. If you want to be able to do nothing, then run away. Be an unruly branch. Call your own shots. Go wherever you want to go. God will honor your choices. But if you want fruitfulness, there's only one way. Abide in the vine and he in you. And when he speaks, he's asking you to obey. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray. And I want to just... If you're here today, if you're here today and maybe you don't, maybe you don't know Jesus yet, we would love to share the gospel with you. We have a prayer team available. Andrew's going through the prayer room door over there, the left corner. If you don't know the Lord, this journey all starts there. You have to be part of the vine in order to have any of this available to you. You need to receive, you need to believe in who Jesus is. You can have that today. Maybe today you're not a very fruitful branch. You've got a couple of things that need to be cut off and you want to pray with somebody to have those things removed. Man, the Lord is faithful to clip off what we ask him to clip off. When we surrender, he says yes and he does it gently. So go and and be prayed for. For the rest of us, let's abide in the vine and obey what he says. When he says you need to be on this part of the trellis, just go there. When he says this thing needs to come off, let him take it. The result is you'll bear great fruit for the king. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. But you sent Jesus into this world to rescue us off the battlefield of life. To adopt us into your family, to graft us into the vine, to bring us into the sheepfold. To make us a sheep and not a goat. To make sure that we're wheat that bears grain and not a tear that just simply produces grass. Lord, we thank you for being our friend. sticking close when we sometimes haven't been a faithful friend to you. Pray that you'd heal those in this room right now that know they've been limited in their faithfulness. Would you help them to be faithful? For those that have been faithful friends, would you cause them to abound and to bear great fruit for your kingdom? For us as a church, would we be so friendly and so loving and so kind and gentle, Lord, that we would be a magnet to the lost and hurting, the dying of this world who need a friend. 
would we be those friends, Lord, to them. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Would you send us out through these doors, Lord, to this world that needs to know what your love looks like and let us be your love to them. In Jesus' name, amen.